What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Coronavirus has had quite a negative impact on our world. It has led many people to be troubled. Uh, the word troubled means to disturb, agitate, distress, to worry, to cause anxiety or concern, to trouble. And I think that's quite an accurate description of where many people are at with all that's happening uh, with the virus right now. A lot of people have uh, gotten disturbed and agitated and distressed and worried and concerned and troubled. They're troubled perhaps because they lost their job, troubled because their savings and investment has taken a huge plummet. Uh, they're troubled because of fear of what will happen to them if they get the virus or troubled because of fear of, you know, what will happen to their loved ones. Perhaps some are even troubled because, you know, one of their loved ones has passed away because of this virus or others are troubled because they're not able to get out and see the people that they want to see and they're troubled because they don't know when all these things are going to just end and we're going to get back to life as it used to be. And I'm sure most of us have responded by being troubled, by being disturbed and agitated, distressed, worried, concerned to some of the impact that the coronavirus has had on us personally or on the world in general. And so what we're going to look at this morning in John chapter 14 is very timely and relevant. Because here in John chapter 14, Jesus is going to teach his disciples how they should respond to being troubled. And then he's going to give them five reasons why they should respond in that way. So if you're troubled right now because of the coronavirus or you're troubled for any other reason, what Jesus shares with us here in John chapter 14 is something very important to understand and to apply to our lives. Now, the reason that Jesus tells his disciples about how to respond to being troubled is because the disciples were troubled. They were disturbed. They were agitated. They were distressed and worried and concerned. And I'm sure all of us would agree that in our mindset, they have good reason to be troubled with what we just saw in chapter 13. When you go to John chapter 13, you recognize that Jesus did and said four things that would have definitely troubled the disciples. It would have got them disturbed and agitated and distressed and concerned. The first thing that Jesus does that would have troubled the disciples and uh, is he goes around and he washes each one of the disciples' feet. 
And we noted that only the lowest servant in the home was responsible for doing this task because it was pretty disgusting. No one wanted to have to, to take on this task. And so, you know, what, what it demonstrated is that, you know what, if you were doing that, that the other person was greater than you. So you would never wash the feet of someone that you thought you were greater than. So as Jesus goes and washes the disciples' feet, he's giving them a powerful example of what godly greatness looks like. That godly greatness is very different than what the world sees as greatness. And when Jesus gets done washing the disciples' feet, he tells them something. He says, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So Jesus is saying, if you guys want godly greatness, you need to humble yourself and serve one another. Now, this lesson from Jesus about godly greatness would have been especially troublesome to the disciples because we noted right before Jesus does this, these disciples are arguing amongst themselves about which one of them was the greatest. But they were basing that argument based on the world's definition of greatness, and now all of a sudden they see Jesus' definition of godly greatness and what they should have been doing, and that would have been very troublesome because it was the opposite of what they were actually doing. So the first thing that Jesus did and said is something that would have troubled them, but it's really nothing compared to the second thing that Jesus said, which would have been even more troublesome. Jesus says, one of you will betray me. So Jesus is saying, hey, the person who's going to betray me is going to be one of you in this room. One of you who has walked with all of us for three years. One of you has spent all this time that we trust, that we live with. One of you guys are going to betray me. That would definitely be a statement that would have given the disciples a reason to be troubled. But then what Jesus says next possibly would have been even more troublesome. He says this, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm about to leave and you guys can't come with me. And think of what a huge blow this would have been to the disciples who gave up everything to follow Jesus. They've been following Jesus for three years, thinking, we're always going to be your disciples. We're always going to follow you till we die. And now Jesus is telling them, sorry, guys. I'm leaving and you can't come with me. And what a huge blow to these disciples. But there's another thing that Jesus shares that's even worse than this. After Peter hears that Jesus is leaving and he can't come, Peter wants Jesus to know, hey Jesus, I'll go anywhere you go. I would die for you. Please let me come with you. And then Jesus reveals to Peter this fourth thing that not only would trouble Peter, but trouble everyone in that upper room. Jesus tells Peter, Most assuredly I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until you have denied me three times. You know, Peter is the most outspoken of the disciples, the most bold of the disciples. And if anyone is going to die for Jesus, I'm sure all the rest would think, yeah, it'd be Peter. And then Jesus is saying, no, Peter, you're actually going to deny me. And so I want you to picture being there in the upper room. You're one of the disciples being a part of all this. And how would you respond to Jesus telling you, you know what? There's something that you need to be doing that you're not doing. 
a way that shows that godly greatness exists in your life. You need to humble yourself and you need to serve others. And you know what? Someone here is going to betray me and I'm going to leave you and you can't follow me. And by the way, the one who's kind of the leader of this group, he's going to deny me three times. How would you respond to that? I'm sure most of us would be troubled. We'd be disturbed. We'd be distressed, agitated, concerned. And you know what? That's exactly how Jesus' disciples responded. They were troubled. And that's where we end chapter 13 with Jesus telling Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And now as we come to chapter 14, notice the first thing that Jesus says to his disciples right after he just told Peter, you'll deny me. John chapter 14 verse 1 tells us this, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You know, as Jesus looks out at the disciples, he knows that what he just said to them, these four things that he said were very troublesome to them. He knows that their hearts are troubled by what they've just heard. And notice that he tells them, don't let your heart be troubled. You know, what Jesus says here is very important for us to understand. But before we look at that, I want us to note what Jesus does not say. He doesn't say, I hope your hearts aren't troubled, guys. I'm sorry about your hearts being troubled. Maybe I shouldn't have told you those things. I understand about your hearts being troubled after what you just heard. It's okay that your heart's troubled. You know, he didn't say any of those things. You know, that's the kind of way that we would maybe have wished he would have spoken, the way that we would have wanted it to be. Yeah, it's all right that I'm troubled because of what happened. No, Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. You know, by making that statement, Jesus reveals something very important. You and I have control over whether or not we allow our heart to be troubled when we encounter troublesome times. You see, if we didn't have control over our heart being troubled, Jesus wouldn't say, don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus doesn't tell us to do things he knows we can't do. So the fact that Jesus gives us this command reveals to us that, hey, we are capable of choosing not to be troubled even in the midst of troublesome times as we see that the disciples were in. You and I have control over whether or not our hearts are going to be troubled. You know, all of us come across circumstances that are difficult. We come across circumstances that are hard. Circumstances that maybe often we let trouble us. Circumstances that we're facing right now with the coronavirus and the fear of job loss or, or death or, or whatever it is that might be there with you. But in reality, our circumstances don't control whether or not we are troubled. We do. We get to make that choice. Circumstances don't choose that for us. We choose that ourselves. Whether you're not you're troubled by difficult circumstances is a choice that you and I make. Now, oftentimes we like to make excuses, give reasons for why it's okay for us to be troubled, to convince ourselves that, you know, being troubled's not such a bad thing, you know, because of all that I'm going through right now. I'm sure in the last six weeks, many of you have made some excuses as to why you've responded to the coronavirus in being troubled and distressed and worried and concerned. Maybe thought, you know, it's okay. Look at all this happening. 
I'm stuck at home. I have this uncertainty about the future, uncertainty about my job, uncertainty about my health, uncertainty about the health of others. You know, I'm justified in being troubled in these troublesome times. But notice that's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say it's okay to be troubled. He says, don't let your heart be troubled, which means you can choose. And Jesus commands you and I to choose to not let ourselves be troubled in these situations. Now, we need to understand the response that Satan wants from you and I, he wants us to be troubled. Because when you and I respond with trouble and distress and worry and concern, anxiety, that just makes it all the more easy for him to do his dirty work against us, for him to be effective in destroying our lives. He would love it if each one of us would respond with trouble to this virus. So Jesus says, when you encounter something difficult, don't let your heart be troubled. Now, I understand this is not an easy thing that Jesus is asking of us. You know, we struggle with this. You know, when we are in troublesome time, our natural fleshly response is to be troubled, to get anxious, to get worried, to be concerned. So it goes against a lot of what we are to choose not to be troubled when we're in difficulty. But something we need to remember is something that we looked at last week, that Jesus will never ask us to do something that he will not give us the power to accomplish. So when he says, don't let your heart be troubled, he also knows, I'll give you what you need for that to be possible in your life. And this is what I love about John chapter 14. Jesus doesn't just say, guys, don't let your heart be troubled and then just move on and start talking about something completely different. For the rest of John chapter 14, Jesus gives his disciples five reasons why they shouldn't let their heart be troubled. So after he says it, and they're thinking, how in the world is that possible? What reason would I have, Jesus, not to be troubled after everything that you just told us? Jesus said, well, I'll give you five good reasons why you shouldn't allow your heart to be troubled. And these are the same five reasons that you and I, when we face troublesome times, should come back to, to know, hey, I can choose not to have my heart be troubled. And these are five great reasons why I can make that choice. Now, the first reason why you and I shouldn't allow our heart to be troubled is in verses two through four, which says this, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. So Jesus tells his disciples, he's telling us, you know what? In my father's house, speaking of heaven, there are many mansions and I go to my Father's house, to heaven, to prepare a place for you. You know, this is such an encouraging thing for us to look forward to. That right now, Jesus is in heaven, and he is preparing a place for those of us who have put our trust in him. A home in heaven is being prepared for you by Jesus himself. And Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
If I'm taking the time to prepare a home for you, you can be confident I'll come and get you and bring you to that place. I'm not just going to prepare this and never allow you to be there. I'm not just going to prepare this and never come for you. You guys can know that I'm making this home and I'm going to come and bring you there so that you can be where I am. So here Jesus gives us a wonderful promise to come and get us, to take us to heaven, to be with him. And this is the first reason why we shouldn't let our hearts be troubled because we have the hope of heaven. Don't let your heart be troubled because you and I, if we placed our trust in Jesus, we're going to heaven. So no matter how difficult this life gets, no matter how hard it is, guess what? This is as bad as it will ever be for us who believe in Jesus. And then we're going to leave this earth and we're going to go to heaven where the Bible says a place where there's no more sadness, there's no more tears, there's no more suffering, there's no more sin. We get to leave this world and go to heaven. And it's such a wonderful, wonderful blessing. And since we know that we have this amazing future awaiting us in heaven, we shouldn't allow what we're going through in the present to cause us to be troubled. You know, when I was a young boy, I had a huge expectation and excitement for Christmas. And as most young kids do, the main reason I was excited for Christmas was because I knew I was going to get some presents. Now, the thing that got me really excited is when I got to discover what those presents were even prior to opening them on Christmas Day. Now, my brother, who's the oldest in our family, he discovered something that he revealed to my sister and I, which was the hiding place that my parents typically used to hide our presents, which was in their closet, in their bedroom. And I remember one year after having that knowledge, I snuck in there to find out, what am I going to get for this Christmas. And I discovered and saw something that I had asked for and was so excited that I was going to get it. It was the original Nintendo. Now, it's nothing like what's out today, but back then, let me assure you, this was the coolest gaming system that there was. I was so excited to be able to get it. I really wanted it. And since now I knew I was going to get my Nintendo when Christmas Day came, All of a sudden, from that moment, all the way to Christmas Day, I didn't allow anything to trouble me. You know, if my brother hit me, I thought, you know what, who cares? There's five days to Christmas, and when Christmas Day comes, guess who's not going to get to play the Nintendo? My brother, it's going to be great. You know, I'm looking forward to it. You see, by looking forward to the coming of Christmas and how great it would be to get my Nintendo, it helped me not to be troubled. Now, if I can get excited as a kid about a Nintendo gaming system, and that would help me not to be troubled. Surely as believers in Jesus, we can be so excited for heaven that it enables us not to be troubled now here on this earth. What you and I have awaiting us in heaven is so unbelievable and amazing, far greater than any Christmas gift that we could get, far greater than anything this world has to offer. And the trouble that we go through in this life is nothing in comparison to all that we will receive when we reach heaven. So we need to have that heavenly perspective on trouble. To look at life with the understanding that this life, as the Bible says, is but a vapor. It's so quick. And then we have eternity with the Lord in heaven. So we need that heavenly perspective, which will help us to not let our hearts be troubled. 
So the first thing, don't let your heart be troubled because you have the hope of heaven. The second reason for why we shouldn't let our heart be troubled is found in verses 5 through 11. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So Jesus speaks about going away to heaven, preparing a place for the disciples in heaven, and he also says, hey guys, where I go you know, and the way you know. And the disciples are kind of like, "Uh, actually, we don't know. And then Philip or Thomas comes out and says it, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? And Jesus responds with one of the most important verses in the Bible about being the only way to get to heaven. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus clearly reveals there's only one way to God. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to eternal life, one way to forgiveness of your sins, and that is coming to Jesus. He is the only way. Any other path, any other way people try to receive those things, none of it is going to give eternal life, forgiveness, heaven. Jesus is the only way. F.F. Bruce wrote this, Without the way, there's no going. Without the truth, there's no knowing. Without the life, there's no living. I am the way which thou must follow, the truth in which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and none of the five points that we're going to look at this morning will do you any good unless you first put your trust in Him. Accepting Jesus is a starting point for why you and I can choose to not let our heart be troubled. But I just want to say this, if you choose to reject Jesus, you choose not to accept Jesus, then you have plenty of reason to be troubled. You're not going to be able to say, I'm going to let my heart not be troubled because the Bible says, no, lots of troubles coming. For those who reject Jesus, the Bible is very clear. Your sin that Jesus dealt with that you don't want to accept, well, now you're going to have to pay for that. And that's going to mean God's judgment is going to be poured out on you for all eternity in hell. So Jesus tells the disciples that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And Philip says, all right, Jesus, show us the Father, and that will be sufficient for us. And notice how Jesus responds to Philip's question, which seems pretty, you know, hey, Jesus is speaking about the Father, the way to be to the Father, and and Philip's like, hey, well, why don't you show us the Father? That's all we need to know, Jesus. Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? 
The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So Philip says, hey, Jesus, show us the Father, and that will be sufficient. And Jesus responds, have I been with you so long, Philip, and you don't know me? Now, this seems kind of like an odd statement from Jesus because Philip's asking Jesus to show him the Father. And Jesus is saying, have I been with you and that you don't know me? And Philip may be thinking, no, no, Jesus, I didn't say, show me more of yourself. I said, show me the Father. Maybe you misunderstood what I said. Jesus didn't misunderstand at all. He's trying to help Philip understand something that Philip has missed and the other disciples have missed. Jesus clarifies this by saying, He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? And then Jesus makes very clear that if you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father, because Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in Jesus. Jesus wants Philip and the rest of the disciples to understand, hey, the Father and I are one. So all that you see in me is what's in him. You want to know what he's like? Just know what I'm like. Because if you know what I'm like, then you know what the Father's like. Because we're one. He's in me. I'm in him. All you need to do is see me. And that's why I say, hey, Philip, have I been with you so long that you haven't seen me, that you don't know me? Because the Father and me are one. You know, I think in the three years that the disciples were with Jesus, one of the things that they saw the most, if they were to describe Jesus perhaps in one word, it would be goodness. Jesus' goodness was daily on display in his love for them and others. His goodness was on display in what he taught and how he healed people and how he ministered to people. And the reason that Jesus was always good is because it's a part of his nature as God. The second reason for why we shouldn't let our heart be troubled is because we know the goodness of God. You know, when you're in a difficult situation, something so important to remember is the goodness of God. You know, too often we miss that, or we might even go as far as to not believe that God is good because he's allowed something bad in your life. Oh, I'm in the midst of this trouble, so surely God can't be good. And that's a lie. And we got to be very careful not to miss that, that we recognize even though I'm going through troublesome time in a sinful world, that doesn't change the fact of the God that I serve, that he is good and he always will be good. And Romans tells us not only that, he can take the bad things in our life and turn them out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I'm sure that there are many people who have been struggling with believing that God's good in the last two months. You know, with all that's going on with this virus and all these people who have lost their job and these people who have lost their lives, how could God still be good? But you know what? If you don't believe that God is good, if you don't believe he has your best interest in mind, it's going to be really hard not to be troubled. If that's the conclusion you come to, God's no longer good, well, that's a, you know, recipe for disaster in the standpoint of I am going to be troubled if I can't believe the truth that God is Good. Being confident in God's goodness is one of the main reasons why you and I can choose to allow our heart not to be troubled. Yeah, things are bad in this world. Things are hard. There's difficulty. But you know what? I still serve a good God. And because I still serve a good God that has my best interest in mind and can take bad things and turn them into good for my life, I can allow my heart not to be troubled. 
So first, don't let your heart be troubled because we have the hope of heaven and we need to look forward to it. Second, don't let your heart be troubled because we know the goodness of God and we need to remember it. The third reason for why we shouldn't let our heart be troubled is in verses 12 through 14. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Back in chapter 13, Jesus told the disciples he was leaving them and they couldn't come. Now they were probably thinking, you know, this is the end of our time with Jesus. The work that we were hoping to have, the work that we did have and that we were hoping would continue, that's kind of done. You know, maybe they were kind of thinking, hey, we're being fired as Jesus' disciples. He's saying he's going to go on and we're staying. We can't come where he's going. And there was this sense in which, man, three years we gave our lives to this and this is where it ends? But you know, here Jesus makes clear he didn't fire the disciples. He is going to promote them to even greater things. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. You know, Jesus expected those who believed in him to carry on the work. Not that the work would end, but that the work would be carried on by those who believe in him and that they would do greater things in magnitude. You see, even when Jesus was here, he was only one man ministering in one area. The rest of the world didn't get to see Jesus. They didn't get to meet Jesus. They didn't get to listen to his teaching. They didn't get to see what he did on the cross for their sin. But yet Jesus says, I got a plan for them. I'm going to send my followers out to the ends of the earth. They're going to reach the world with the gospel. And we're going to see so many more people reached because of it. Jesus shares with us two reasons how this is going to be possible. How are his disciples going to be doing these great things that he has for them? The first reason has to do with prayer. Jesus repeats a phrase in these verses, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Here Jesus is telling the disciples the power that is in prayer. Guys, if you ask anything in my name, I'm going to do it for you. So when Jesus sends out the disciples to reach the world with the gospel, he's sending them out with the power of prayer, sending them out saying, hey guys, it's going to be hard. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be times that you just desperately need my help. And whenever you come and you ask of me and ask things in my name, I will give those things to you. Now, something important for us to understand is that the name and the character of Jesus are synonymous. So in order to pray for something in the name of Jesus, you have to pray for something that's also associated with his character and his will. So if you pray for something that's against Jesus' character and will, and then at the end of it you say, in Jesus' name, don't assume that that's just some magic word that's going to get you what you want. It has to be prayed in Jesus' will, based on Jesus' character. That's what it means when it speaks of in his name. It's connected to that. And so some people have, have concluded, like, I can pray for anything. And as long as I have that magic phrase at the end, in Jesus' name, it's mine. No, it has to be based on his will, based in his character. But then the promise is, if it is based on those things, what you ask, I'm going to give it to you. 
And in the context of thinking of being sent out and reaching the world with the gospel, Jesus is all ready to go to give people what they need to reach others for him. So he's sharing with his followers the amazing power of prayer, which is going to be one of the things that's going to enable them to go do the great things that Jesus has for them to do. So the third reason why we shouldn't let our heart be troubled is because we have the power of prayer. When difficult times come, don't get troubled. Instead, pray. We have this amazing power. The all-powerful God is there for us to help us. And so instead of troubling yourself over your difficulties, come to God and pray about them and enable, allow Him to help you. Philippians 4, 6 tells us this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't get anxious. Don't get troubled. Instead, pray. So when you're in a difficult situation, you know, our first response, which often isn't our first response, the first response that we should have is pray. Come to God with that trouble. Come to God with that difficulty. Come to God with those things and leave it with Him and trust Him to give you what you need to get through it. When we're weak, ask God. He'll give you strength. If you're anxious, ask God. He'll give you peace. If you've fallen on your face, ask God. He'll lift you up. If you've sinned, ask God. He will forgive you. We have such an amazing privilege and such amazing power in prayer and the challenges don't neglect it, especially in the midst of troublesome times. I personally found that when I'm in a situation where I'm prone to allow myself to get troubled, that prayer is one of the best things I can do to kind of just change how I respond, to help me to respond by not being troubled when I leave it with the Lord, trust in Him, bring those cares and those concerns to Him. So first, don't let your heart be troubled because we have the hope of heaven and we need to look forward to it. Second, don't let your heart be troubled because we know the goodness of God. We need to remember it. Third, don't let your heart be troubled because we have the power of prayer and we need to utilize it. And the fourth reason we shouldn't let our heart be troubled is found in verses 15 through 26, which says this. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is He who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. A couple times in these verses, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
You know, as Christians, we are often looking for ways to demonstrate the fact that we love God to God. Well, Jesus makes it very clear, you know, one of the best things that you can do if you want to show me love is actually keep the commandments that I've given you. That's one of the best things. I know for us as, as parents, that's one of the things that we want our kids. You, you want to show me love? Do what I tell you to do. You know, that's the best thing you can do for me. Obey my commandments. That's what Jesus is saying. You want to show me love? Then obey the things I tell you to do. But that's hard to do. But Jesus goes on to reveal, you know what, there's something that I'm going to give that's super wonderful that's going to help you to be able to obey the commandments and show me love. And the thing that I'm going to give, he says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. When Jesus speaks about this helper, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. The Greek word translated helper means called to one side to aid and help someone Though whether you're going through difficulty is there to comfort you. Now Jesus goes on to tell us six wonderful things about what the Holy Spirit does for us. He may abide with you forever. He's not going to leave you. He's a spirit of truth. He's going to give you that truth. He's going to dwell in you, not just be with you. He will teach you all things. He's the way that the Father and the Son will manifest themselves to us and make their home in us. And he will bring to remembrance all things that Jesus said. Now I could do an entire teaching on just these six things, which is not an exhaustive list of what the Holy Spirit does, but just these six alone are so amazing and wonderful, but we don't have time to get into all those. What I do want you to understand of what Jesus is sharing here is that the Holy Spirit is our helper, and these six wonderful things that the Holy Spirit does are to help us. That's their purpose, their goal. So the fourth reason for why we shouldn't let our heart be troubled is because we have the Holy Spirit to help us. We don't need to be troubled because the Holy Spirit dwells in us and He is always there to help us whenever we face difficulty and trouble and trials. And this is such a wonderful blessing that no matter what you go through in life, the Holy Spirit is always there to help you. If you need strength, He's going to give it to you because He's all-powerful. If you need wisdom and direction... He'll give it to you because He is the Spirit of truth who knows all. If you need to be taught or, or remember what Jesus says, guess what? He is going to remind you of that. Jesus promises that of Him. So one of the biggest reasons we shouldn't allow ourselves to be troubled is because the Holy Spirit is there to give us all that we need to face the trouble that we encounter. When you face a difficult situation, guess what? You don't have to get through it in your own strength, in your own power, in your own wisdom, in your own efforts. And if we were left to our own self, yeah, we would have lots of reason to be troubled because we wouldn't be able to do it. But God's saying, no, 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 I've given you the helper. He dwells in you. He's always with you. So you don't have to do it in your own strength and power and wisdom and resources. I have given you my spirit and he will give you the strength you need. He will give you the wisdom you need. He will give you the truth. He will give you the power. He will give whatever it is that is necessary for you to get through the trouble that you're in. But you know, something important for us to understand is what the Holy Spirit provides for us is only helpful if we depend and rely upon it. He's a gentleman. He doesn't force it upon us. He doesn't say, man, I'm going to force you to depend on me. I'm going to force you to rely on my power. I'm going to force you to depend on my wisdom. No, he says, I will make it available to you. But you must choose to depend on me. You must choose to accept my wisdom over your own. You must choose to trust in my power, not your own. 
We have to make that choice. It's ours at our disposal always because he dwells in us if we've accepted Christ, but we must choose to take advantage of this wonderful blessing that Jesus has given. Oftentimes when we face difficulties, we tell God how big our difficulty is and why it's troubling us. But instead, we need to remind ourselves how big our God is. And in comparison, how little our trouble is. And that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, who is all-powerful and can surely get us through what we're dealing with. So first, don't let your heart be troubled because we have the hope of heaven and we need to look forward to it. Second, don't let your heart be troubled because you know the goodness of God. We need to remember it. Third, don't let your heart be troubled because we have the power of prayer. We need to utilize it. Fourth, don't let your heart be troubled because we have the Holy Spirit to help us and we need to depend on His help. And the fifth and final reason for why we shouldn't let our heart be troubled is found in verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Here Jesus tells us that he gives us his peace. But notice he says, you know, my peace is not like the peace of the world. My peace is different. My peace is better than the world's peace. The fifth reason for why we shouldn't let our heart be troubled is because we have Jesus's peace. So when you're in a difficult situation, don't look to the world for the peace that they have to offer. Look to Jesus to give you the peace that he gives that is so necessary for us to be able to not be troubled in the midst of these troublesome times. William Barclay wrote this. In the Bible, the word for peace, shalom, never means simply the absence of trouble. It means everything which makes for our highest good. The peace which the world offers us is the peace of escape, the peace which comes from the avoidance of trouble and from refusing to face things. Notice here that the world's peace ultimately is only available in the avoidance of trouble, only available if there's no trouble in your life. But guess what? That's not very helpful when you're in the midst of trouble. Then that peace doesn't do you any good. Jesus is saying, no, my peace will give you peace even in the midst of trouble. You don't have to avoid it. You can be right in the midst of it, and my peace will help. Now, the peace that Jesus offered is very different than the world's peace. Notice what Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. One of the things that makes Jesus' peace superior to the world's peace is because Jesus can peace that surpasses understanding and the world can't. The world's peace only comes when you have an understanding of your circumstances and how they're going to work out and what's going to happen. But when you don't have that understanding like you don't right now in the midst of the coronavirus, guess what? The peace of Jesus, it surpasses understanding. You don't have to know how everything's going to work out. You don't have to know whether or not you're going to lose your job, whether or not you're going to get sick, whether or not bad things are going to happen to family and friends. You can still have God's peace because it surpasses that understanding. And it's a huge reason why we can choose to not let our hearts be troubled. Well, after Jesus tells the disciples that he's giving them his peace, he then tells them again what he said in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
Once again, Jesus, he starts with the challenge, he concludes with the challenge, and in between the challenge, he gives these five reasons for why they shouldn't let their hearts be troubled. But it's a challenge that we need to put into practice. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be disturbed, agitated, distressed, worried, and concerned. Instead, remember these five things that Jesus encourages us with. We have the hope of heaven, so look forward to it. We know the goodness of our God, so remember it. We have the power of prayer, so utilize it. We have the Holy Spirit to help us, so depend on Him. And we have Jesus' peace, rest in it. Well, Jesus finishes this chapter by once again letting the disciples know He's about to do something that is going to trouble them, but also what He's about to do should bring them something that should not trouble them. Verses 28-31. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. But the world may know that I love the Father and the Father gave me commandment. So I do. Arise, let us go from here. The last time Jesus says he was going away, the disciples were troubled. And now Jesus tells them, not only am I going to go away, but guess what, guys? I'm going to come back to you. And this shouldn't cause them to be troubled. It should cause them to rejoice. And Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this before it happens, so that when it does, you can believe. But when he says coming back, he's speaking about the resurrection. He knows where he's going. I'm going to die. And the only way I'm coming back is because I'm going to rise from the dead. And when you guys see that, man, then you're really going to believe and understand who I truly am and the power that I actually have. But Jesus also knows he doesn't have much time left to speak with his disciples and that the ruler of the world, Satan, is coming for him. Remember, he filled Judas. Judas is out starting the plan for the arrest of Jesus. Jesus knows it's just a matter of hours before these things come to fruition. But he says, but the world may know That Jesus loves the Father and the Father gave Jesus the commandment, speaking of a specific commandment, the commandment to give his life on the cross for our sins. Jesus says, hey, so do I. I'm going to go do it. I am going to go give my life on the cross for the sins of the world. You see, the thing that makes it possible for you and I not to be troubled, the reason that we have the wonderful hope of heaven That we know the goodness of God, the power of prayer, the Holy Spirit to help us, the peace of Jesus. All of these things are only possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. The fact that he died for our sin there is what makes it possible for you and I to accept him, to be forgiven of our sin, and then to come to this place where we can say, I'm not going to allow my heart to be troubled because of all that Jesus has done and all that enables me now to do in the midst of troublesome time. And so I want to finish this morning by remembering what Jesus did on the cross, by remembering what he did to make possible for us the reality that we can now no longer choose to be troubled. We can choose not to be troubled. And we're going to do that by taking communion together. And in a moment, I'm going to have Colson and Joy come up and lead us in a song of worship. And hopefully at your home, you've already prepared the communion elements. If you haven't done that yet during this song, I would encourage you to do that. If you're by yourself, just have that ready for yourself. If you have a family, pass that out to everyone. And I'm going to come back up and we're just going to take some time to partake of communion together and remember what Jesus has done for us. And so why don't we have the worship team come on up and we'll do that together.